2: coming up next on the Liverbird sailing podcast
3: and it seemed like maybe this dream just wasn't going to fit with these very active lives that we had built and so That was the big shift that all of a sudden opportunity opened up for us all to be unencumbered by our careers. And it was almost like, well, why not have a go at it? It might actually be a dream that we thought had died that is coming back to life right before our eyes.
4: Yeah, I think it's, it's important for people, you know, no matter what stage of life you're at, you can have a dream and you can work towards that dream and as long as you just stay focused on the dream it may turn out totally different than what you first envisioned or what you first imagined but that's part of the beauty of it
2: welcome to the podcast i am your host Annika on the liverboard sailing podcast i chat with awesome people who live work and travel on their sailboats my guests share inspiring stories and real life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. In this episode, we dive into the process of transitioning into the liveaboard life in different stages of life, and what it means to realize this adventure as a family. For the first time ever, I have four guests on the podcast, as I chat with the crew of Cruising Meraki, or at least two out of the three generations. If you don't know the Meraki crew yet, they are three generations, So there's the kids, the parents, and the grandparents, who travel together, chasing their offshore sailing dream and faraway destinations. At the time of recording, they had made it from Victoria, BC to California, and we discussed their experience and how they got ready for their adventures. And just a note about the timing, as this was of course recorded in late 2021, there are some references to this year, which of course means 2021, but it is all obvious from the context. So here we go with Cruising Meraki. So we have a pretty big crew here today. So why don't we get started with some introduction. Kate and Mick, do you want to go first?
4: Sure. Yeah. So we're Kate and Mick. We have two kids, Thomas and Bentley. And Mick is originally from Australia. I am from Victoria in Canada. And, yeah.
0: Yeah, we bought a sailboat at the start of this year, which was about 10 months ago. Spent uh, five months refitting it and then moved aboard in June. We sailed locally for two months, learning uh, the boat and uh, how we fit in ourselves. And then, yeah, started offshore, heading south down towards Mexico.
4: Pretty much sums us up.
2: and then we have also the next generation you want to do your introductions we're Kevin and Shauna we also have two children
1: but they're both girls and Kate is one of them our other daughter Brooklyn lives in Victoria here and uh, we have been on the water in some shape or form all of our married life
3: which is 39 years we (laughs) celebrated our 39th (laughs) anniversary just uh what were we probably about 10 hours out of San Francisco or something. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of fun. I'm 63 years old. Shauna will decide whether she wants to disclose her age, I suppose. Absolutely. (laughs) She's 60. 61. (laughs) uh, 61. Oh, yeah, that's
1: right, too. (laughs)
3: And, uh, yeah, I celebrated my 63rd birthday also at sea, uh, somewhere off Bend, Oregon. So this is uh, an amazing privilege for us to be involved with Kate and Mick and our two lovely grandsons, Thomas and Bentley. And to have this dream to chase is really a lifelong thing come true.
2: Yes, I definitely love the concept of three generations, two boats, and one dream. So tell me, how did this idea even develop? Because it's quite a unique one, uh, or maybe it seems natural to you, but just hearing that from outside, it's like, wow, that's really different. So how did that idea develop? Whose idea was it?
4: Yeah, it is unique, and I think it all started back in 2017. Mick and I started, we were living in Victoria in Canada, and we were starting to talk about um, making a shift and moving back to Australia, either for, we weren't really sure if we'd go for a year or move permanently, but we wanted to kind of go with the idea of giving it a shot, letting the kids get to know their dad's culture a little bit more and where he grew up. So that was where it all began, and yeah, uh, it was
0: about nine years. I think we were in Canada together yeah. when we came up with that
1: decision.
4: Yeah. yeah. So, and it was when time. you got
1: married, you said after ten years you'd be going to Australia. Yeah. We, oh. Well, it we was always sort of knew, all within the plan. Yeah.
4: We always knew there was like when you have a couple from two different countries, you always know that you know there's always going to be that pull to both countries. So you got to yeah. kind of be flexible and be willing to live. Either or. And we are fortunate that we're from two really amazing places in the world. (laughs) So, as we started talking about it, we realized you know, school finishes in Canada in June and school in Australia starts in February. We have six months, six months to do anything we want with no, why don't we save our money and like buy airline tickets around the world or go live in Europe for a little bit or maybe go live in Japan? And that was sort of our mindset. And we were really working towards some sort of travel goal. And then in 2018, we were on an annual boat trip with mom and dad. And dad, we were all sitting around at dinner and dad goes, why don't you guys just sail to Australia? And I laughed and said, dad, we could never sail to Australia. That's ridiculous. Yeah,
0: we'd, we'd never owned a boat. Or <laughs> we'd never
4: a, sailed in our lives. Yeah,
3: never even stepped on a sailboat at that point.
4: Yeah. And.
3: Uh, now, that's not true. Just a sec. I have to pay homage to Mick's grandpa who built a sailboat and i happen to know a story that mick told me that he went to watch your grandpa build it or something and you did step aboard it but it was a long way from water <laughs> <laughs>
4: it wasn't floating
3: <laughs> was that's that, true uh, that's yeah. true
4: we did go on that Fact checking as yeah. we go <laughs> i love it <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: yeah so yeah, it was just
0: rough wood then
4: yeah so i happen to know that it has been my parents dream to do offshore sailing Long before they had kids, they used to own sailboats before they had kids and then moved into um, a trawler. But so I went to dad. That's your guys's dream. Why don't like you should do it. You're in a phase of life where you could. Why don't you? And we spent that entire week just kind of talking back and forth. And that just grew into, well, why don't we all go together? We don't know what we're doing. You guys do. But we can be extra hands (laughs) and that was the plan for a year we were gonna get a boat big enough for the six of us and do it all together on one boat was the original dream and yeah does anyone have
1: anything to add to that no i just i remember sitting on the top deck of uh, masuda which is our powerboat that we've owned before we had children and uh that was where the dream was born I don't think any of us had any idea. Well, that was two years before COVID. Um, there was so much in our future, but the seed of the idea was planted, and we've hung on to that idea pretty consistently, even though the path has changed and morphed and taken a very different track to what we expected originally. We've, we've stayed up on the top deck in the sunshine, dreaming about going offshore together.
3: Yeah. We all yeah. lived very structured lives. Yeah. Mick is a very accomplished uh, carpenter, uh, cabinet maker. Kate was involved with us in our family business for a few years, and she ventured out on her own working with the local school district. And uh, I was, uh, Sean and I, we owned a hotel and lived a very structured life. In fact, I worked for an organization that had offices in Ottawa, so I was back and forth to your town there a lot. And it seemed like maybe this dream just wasn't going to fit with these very active lives that we had built. And so that was the big shift that all of a sudden opportunity opened up for us all to be unencumbered by our careers. And it was almost like, well, why not have a go at it? It might actually be a dream that we thought had died that is coming back to life right before our eyes. We actually ended up living together at our farm, our family farm, with Kate, Mick, and the two boys, Tommy and Benny, uh, for over a year, right, you guys? And we were yeah. waiting for COVID to finish. We thought it would be about a two- or three-month experience, and <laughs> we, we ended up together for well over a year. And nobody killed anybody. Like, we actually got along just fine. It was quite remarkable.
2: That's great. So you had a really good test there, how you would uh, get along longer term uh, in one place, although, of course, larger than just the boat. But you are now in on two different boats. So at what point did you figure out, like, ah, maybe we'll have two boats after all?
3: Well, Kate and Mick just got out ahead of us there. Our, our lives were a little bit more tangled up than theirs, I guess, because they just, uh, well, you tell your story. That I mean, there was a grenade of thought.
0: Yeah, it's amazing um, how long ago, when it was just Kate and I thinking up the plan to go traveling, that the one boat or two boat or even the sail plan, it all fit into the exact same timeline. So we picked the date, like, you know, that date we left this year, three years ago, for some sort of travel. And you know, leaving our jobs, packing up the house, renting our house out, the move into Kevin and Shauna's place—that was all part of that. Now it was just amazing that it all came to the end here, and it's still all going to work out. It wasn't the original plan of like traveling with airline tickets, the four of us to then being on a boat, the six of us to now being on two boats. Like that—that that whole process of getting to that one point.
4: We always had that. Yeah, date. and in always,
0: mind. always had that date and in mind and that was so important to have that and uh us all yeah committed to doing this together in 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 whatever way but the two boat thing yeah
4: it kind of just happened we we were having a really hard time finding a boat that we would all fit in and wasn't insanely uh expensive (laughs) fit in a budget and all of these things it was a real challenge to try and find that boat, and I think that's sort of where we started. I remember I can't even remember who it was that first said, "Well, what if we did two boats, you guys?" And then we started looking at two smaller boats, and the cost was much less <laughs> to do two smaller versus one very large. And I think that was sort of one of the driving forces. Um, like Mick or someone mentioned about Grenada, Mick and I had so many different ideas. We it was becoming clear that we were a little bit more ahead of mom and dad in our timeline which is totally fine we've got six people it just takes time to get everything together and we
0: had a year up on them because we had already planned for this day a year before we we'd met uh, on the boat and decided to do this that's
4: right so at one point we had booked flights to Grenada and our thought was let's go to Grenada we'll just get a little boat we'll get some more experience sailing and then when mom and dad are ready we'll meet up again and we'll get that bigger boat for all of us and we'll start the journey um those flights got cancelled because of covid and right around that time this boat came up Mm -hmm. and yeah we went to go see it i or no we saw it before our flights got cancelled and mick was like i saw this boat it's here in victoria it could be really great and i went and i remember going
0: I've never seen someone so grumpy to see yeah, a boat. I was really I'm like, not impressed. Look at this! Look at this! Okay, he's like, I...
4: I was. This I don't want to go. Uh, Mick was putting a grumpy face on there because there's no video. <laughs> but uh, we had flights booked to a tropical place. It was going into winter, and I was like, I am not staying in Victoria. This boat needs so much work. I have no interest in putting this much effort into. Like this boat was rough and that's why it was in our price range. Um, So anyway, then we walked away from the boat and I was like, no, man, we're going to Grenada. We're going to go have this hot tropical vacation waiting for mom and dad.
3: And, And I should maybe just interject here. I've known Caitlin all her life. And when she makes up her mind about something, it's a little hard to change it.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little stubborn. I wonder where she got that quality from. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, shortly after that, the flights to Grenada got canceled. And I was like, okay, universe, I hear you. Let's go look at that boat again. (laughs) Yeah. And like that was that was three weeks later we had the keys in our hand and we were the proud owners of a forty five foot sailboat. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we came back to this boat, put an offering, got accepted, and then yeah, like Kate said, two two weeks later
3: we were on the boat. And Kate ended up very excited.
2: Yes. And I love our boat now.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, but I totally get it. When you have this idea of somewhere tropical and you live in Canada and the winter is coming, it's like, oh, yeah. you want me to still stay here? I was so ready. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
4: But it all worked out for the best and things always do. Exactly. So.
2: There was definitely some uh, some good timings and coincidences there for sure with timing and the flights being canceled and, and your boat in your own uh, hometown. So that's pretty cool. So yeah. what kind of boat it is it? it? You said it's 45 feet?
4: Yeah, that's right. It's a Stan Huntingford design. It's called a and l Explorer 45 and they're pretty rare boats. We've heard there's no more than 30 made. Um, Stan Huntingford is from Vancouver and the boat was made in the C&L shipyard in Taiwan.
0: Yep, in Taiwan. Yep. Yeah, they have back in the uh, 70s, early 80s. They made hundreds and hundreds of these types of boats, yeah, the just the methods they use with the fiberglassing, they just built really strong, solid, offshore capable blue water boats that just had a, you know, not like a race boat, wasn't anything that's going to fly through the water, but just a very kind sea motion. I mean, there's, there's tons of brands that were built around then um and yeah we couldn't be happier we love it so comfortable it is
4: it's not fast (laughs) but it's very comfortable yeah
3: it accommodated six of us really quite comfortably yeah Yeah. for a whole month that's
4: (laughs) right it's a great boat i'm really we're so thankful i like to think that she found us and she was definitely the right boat for us
0: just just regarding our our boat and uh the way it handles and things like that this uh don't get too caught up on just feeling like everything has to be new and fancy. Like ours, it's an old boat. It's 1977. Um, we picked something that suits us. Yeah, there's faster boats out there, but we just wanted something comfortable to cruise along in. We found something locally, which helped to redo it. We fixed the, we fixed the things we didn't want to fix along the way. So, um, a lot of the through holes... The tankage we didn't want to have to deal with on the way. So we focused on those things. Then all the other little bits and pieces inside the boat, they can just come along the way. But I'm really proud of us for not overstepping our boundaries in finding a boat. Um,
4: And our budget.
0: Yeah, and our budget. It's not too big. It's not too small. The work wasn't overwhelming. And...
4: I don't know. You look back at some of those videos and go, what were we thinking? Yeah,
0: we do. (laughs) But we knew our abilities Mm -hmm. and we stuck within them and we succeeded and we met our dates and we met our budget. And there was a lot of planning and research, which was oh so important, like to be able to do that from home, to come up with a problem that we had never encountered. And then after a day of reading, finding out that other people have encountered it and they had the answers, that was a huge part of being able to build the boat and then also learn the sailing abilities of it. Mm -hmm.
4: Um, I think it's really important to note that this can be done on really any budget. Yeah. I think a lot of people get hung up and think that they need a really, when I think this is what you're trying to say, like the perfect boat, the expensive boat with all, all kitted out, but it is possible to do this on a small budget.
2: Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's so great to hear. And Shauna and Kevin, you are on a boat now. Are you still looking for a different boat or what's your boat story?
3: Well, we're just about to get on an airplane. In fact, we were packing our suitcases just before. That's probably why we were late logging on. Yeah, we're just heading off to, we're not allowed to tell the details yet, but (laughs) yes, we have another boat we're moving on to. Uh, our current boat, as Shauna mentioned, we've actually owned the Old Omasuda. It's a Universal Marine 42-foot trawler. We've owned it since 1983. And so it's like parting with a long-lost friend. This one's going be to be put up for sale. And we'll be heading off to our new home. And it looks like we'll be starting our venture on the west coast of California, or restarting it, I should say, because we, we left off the delivery trip with Kate and Mick and Thomas and Benny in Santa Cruz, I guess, is where we got off. And we've we we will have a boat in that area that will be uh, taking off, hopefully catching up with Kate and Mick in Mexico before too long. In actual fact, uh, I have to just comment because you know, like. Mick is a race car driver, right? And that's one of his hobbies. And uh, I'm, j- I'm I'm really quite excited to see if I can catch
2: him. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> you probably will. Oh, this will put an
2: interesting twist to the uh, whole, <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> yeah,
3: sure <could. laughs> Yeah, it will. Well, it's really funny because we weren't out there very long the first few days and Mick was talking about trying to catch up with other boats that we saw on our radar and our AIS. And, oh, he's got a knot on us and we better, you know. Mick just thinks like a race car driver, and he was he was the best at racing cars. I mean, he always was winning the trophies. So this, uh, not that any of us are competitive, but this could be an interesting part of
1: <laughs> Not that any of us are competitive.
3: <laughs> I am enjoying the slow aspect of this, though.
2: Yeah, it's very different. Are you?
3: Oh, good. So anyway, that, yeah, we'll be catching up with him before too many weeks or months pass yeah. here. Yeah.
2: That is so exciting. I love that. And uh, Kate, you referenced earlier that you didn't have a lot of sailing experience, but now you've all six of you have made the trip from Victoria to California. Was that one of your bigger trips altogether uh, on a sailboat?
4: Yes, <laughs> to say the least.
2: <laughs> that was our first trip altogether
4: yeah. on a yeah.
3: sailboat. It, it, yeah. It, it was
1: our first offshore trip for yeah. sure. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of firsts on that trek.
3: And I have to say, the crew performed really well. This was a, an amazing crew. One of the things, like I, part of our professional life, we ran commercial boats here in Victoria in the tourist industry. And I trained a lot of captains over the 25 years that we were in the boat business. And I noticed some people get it really quickly, and some never get it, and some just are the slow path to getting it. And I've never seen people advance as quickly in their seamanship skills as I saw with Kate and Mick. Shauna all, always has been very competent on a boat, but sailing was new to her as well in an offshore environment. And uh, it was it was remarkable. We would, rounding rounding Cape Flattery, I remember saying to the crew, okay, guys, there's a wall of fog in about 30 minutes. We're going to have like no visibility. So somebody get on the radar screen, somebody get on AIS and let's... Let's be sure that we don't run into anybody because there's a lot of traffic out here today. And uh, but we were talking about this; it, it, it was just it was amazing to see how quickly everybody was capable of uh, identifying traffic, of uh, actually determining collision course avoidance. And uh, basically, what well what unnerves most people when they lose all visibility is almost like a vertigo. You just gotta go, oh, okay, what's where and what's up and where 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 are we? And there was just none of that with this crew. They immediately were comfortable trusting the instruments. We were immediately into some pretty big swells. I don't know how big they were, but it was, you know, big water. And uh we were running downwind and we we were on our watch schedule and everybody seemed very capable and very comfortable. That was a lovely thing for me to see.
4: Yeah. I think, um, yeah, to speak to the experience a little bit. So I grew up on mom and dad's boat in the summers, which is a trawler. Uh, So I'm very comfortable on boats, but not sailboats. So when Mick and I first stepped aboard a sailboat in May of 2020, and I think that's our second video on YouTube. (laughs) We actually, and it's called, we learned to sail during a regatta. And that pretty much sums it up. We stepped aboard 15
0: Um, months ago from today the first time I ever stepped foot on a sailboat that was in the water
4: yeah so it was a friend's sailboat dad had signed us up for a regatta and I remember him going prepare to tack and I'm going what's a tack
3: (laughs) (laughs) I said prepare to jibe and you started dancing
4: (laughs) (laughs) so like it's kind of ridiculous and then Nick and I were like we really got a figure some stuff out so we bought a small 24 foot sailboat
0: which I recommend for anybody wanting to do this It's a great starting point yeah even just weekend trips and stuff so important just to have that to see if you like it you know even just being on anchor overnight like if you're a nervous person that really kind of gets your jitters going but it just it helped us be a lot more comfortable just on the water and in general learning all those little things
4: so we bought that in July of 2020 and we sailed it hard all summer. We got our sailing certification through an instructor. We actually all six did that together on our little sailboat. Dad is very experienced, but still joined us for it. And mom as well. So it was just a really good team building experience. And then we sold, Mick and I sold that little boat. It was called Swan in the fall of 2020. And that's about the time we booked our flights to Grenada and had all of that plan as well. So we really were not very experienced. We really wanted some experience hands on board when we had our first offshore experience, which is where mom and dad came in. And uh, I kind of insisted that they come with us for at least a month just so we could, you know, have that experience on board, which is really important because as much as we prepared and learned and tried to absorb as much information as we possibly could before we left, we'd never done anything like this before.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's actually really good advice about getting a smaller boat if you can. I've heard it before from someone else on the podcast who said just, you know, get a small 20-foot boat or something similar that you can afford to run aground and do all the expensive mistakes that you don't want to do in a bigger boat. Yeah, I mean, we only
0: had it for three months and that was enough. Like, it doesn't have to be a huge investment for a really long time and put you out. It's just something little to plonk in the water for, Yeah something the simple that you yeah. can
4: just get out on a lot we were really fortunate we found a little boat in really good shape so we just like
0: yeah like it was five thousand dollars so that's not a big investment to, to try this out compared to you know what you have to invest in a big boat to go on big trips so.
2: yeah yeah exactly i mean that's basically less than you know sailing courses that you would take so that that or like a sailing trip that one a couple would take that could cost thousands on its own so that's a really good and and cheap way to learn for 3 months so that's that's a really good idea Ready to pop the question The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door
3: And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: And uh, the passage down from what I understand uh, from B.C. to California is not known for being particularly pleasant uh, and I know you mentioned, Kevin, already that there was fog and, and all that, but how was it otherwise? Overall success or learning experience it or fa- everything? It,
3: it was fabulous, yeah, but it, it it covered the whole range of experiences, but I'd do it all again with these guys in a moment. It was yeah. great, yeah.
1: I think for for me, um, going back to Mick's comment about their boat, Meraki, uh, and how seaworthy it is, you don't know how you're going to react when you start seeing those ocean swells come at you. And Maraki has a radar archer, which is really a solar panel arch at the back. And the swell behind us was large, higher than that. And I just remember looking into Mick's face and he's looking back at this swell and we're wondering what's going to happen. And the boat just rode that wave and every other one after it uh, like a champ. And so you go, OK, good we're not going to die out here (laughs) (laughs) or be swamped. And many times through that trip, although we encountered all kinds of unexpected uh, challenges, we all looked at each other and kept saying, this isn't as bad as we expected. So I guess we maybe were conditioned to what you just said, Annika, that this is not a pleasurable part of the world to go offshore sailing. It's a get-her-done get to the destination as quickly as you can and recognize that this is not indicative of world Mm -hmm. cruising. We
4: had so many people tell us that, you know, don't get discouraged if you do this leg and it's really tough. Don't judge sailing around the world on this leg. And I think we all had that at the forefront of our mind and we just expected it to be awful. (laughs) And it wasn't, Awful. It was better than we expected. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of really great experiences, and uh, we ha- we work. I think you have had other people on the podcast that also have worked with Jamie and Bian from Totem Sailing. They're an awesome couple. Anyone interested in um, getting into sailing or getting into cruising, or they even help people on the other side that have been cruising for a long time and are wanting to transition back to land life. They mentor people anywhere in the dream. So it's a really, they're amazing people. It was two weeks before we left and they were like, so we should have mentioned this earlier, but you know, most people leave their kids at home, at least until San Francisco that are leaving the Pacific Northwest, because it's, it can be pretty tough and it can scare kids. And then they don't want to continue sailing anymore. So I normally suggest that, that you leave kids at home with grandparents and then fly home and get them and bring them back to your boat. And I was like, well, we're taking our grandparents with us, so that's not an option. <laughs> Everybody's um, coming
2: aboard. Well,
4: <laughs> yeah, but the kids were amazing.
3: Yes. Oh,
1: the kids Yeah,
4: they did awesome.
3: My favorite story, probably my favorite impression of the whole trip was the two boys. One of the few clear nights we had, I was on my watch which my watch was 1 a.m. to 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and all bundled up because it's cold out there. That was the other big surprise is how freaking cold it is out off the off the coast at night. And the fog comes in, and so we're all bundled up in full-length cruiser suits and gloves and toques. About 3.30 in the morning, up comes Thomas, my 10-year-old grandson, these guy's beautiful son. And he's in his shark pajamas and his bare feet, and he plunks himself down beside me. And I said, check out the stars, Thomas. I mean... From horizon to horizon, it's just a canopy of stars, and and it just cleared up, and he's looking back and forth. All of a sudden, he looks at me, says, you know, Grandpa, some of us are just made for this. (laughs) That might be one of my favorite moments. And then little Bentley, who's about to turn eight, he's a man of very few words, and Probably my favorite impression of the whole trip is I'd shout down, how you doing down there, Benny? And I'd get two thumbs up from him. And that was always how he communicated that he was just doing great. Two thumbs up. So between us just being made for this and two thumbs up, that was really, truly the highlight of the whole experience for me as a grandpa. To be out there with a daughter that I love, a fine man that I love that she chose as her husband, and these two little kids. It just, every time I turn around, I'm going, wow, this is, this is magic. And better than the dream that I had conjured up as a 16, 17-year-old kid myself.
1: I noticed you didn't include your wife.
3: <laughs> oh, ouch. Oh, I could be in big trouble now. Okay, that I should speak to. How lucky is a guy to find a 39-year married partner? A wife, a beautiful, beautiful woman that also loves sailing. Yeah. Do you know how many times I've met guys? Like, dozens. That just say, oh, if I go out in the boat, I'm always by myself. My wife just hates it." Shauna is the first one to be out there doing the tough jobs, and that, that what good fortune. That's because have... you've always made me do it. <laughs> but you make you make it look like you're enjoying it.
2: <laughs> so obviously, a really special experience to share that with the, as a family, uh, doing that first big offshore sale, but before you got to all of that point, I'm always curious to hear about the preparations. And in your case, it's very interesting because there is three generations to uh, cover. So there's the preparations for the kids and their school and getting them ready and then the preparations for for the adults. So how did that process look for, for all of you? And, and I guess overall, can you say how long it took uh, what was your timeline when you first got the idea? I think you mentioned it at the beginning, but I forgot now. What was the, your overall timeline? How long did it take you to get ready for this adventure? Yeah,
4: so it was 2018 that we first had the idea. So it took us three years pretty much to go from living in a house um, to packing up that entire life, finding a boat, fixing the boat, and moving on to the boat.
3: <laughs> you know, it's worth saying that it's not easy to get free of the life that you create, Uh, at least for us, we were real gatherers. Like we had a lot of stuff that turns out we didn't need, but boy, it's tough to get rid of it. And like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's a lot of work. There's emotional attachment to the life that you've created, but we were out for dinner last night with friends at their house and big, beautiful house, magnificent view out over the ocean. Our friends, Rush and Sheila, they're just beautiful, beautiful people. They treated us so nice. He's putting logs on the fire. and I'm thinking to myself, this was our life, actually, before we chased this dream. And I'm really glad we chased this dream. That life is magnificent. This life is magnificent. But they're very different lives. And to transition from one to the other, it does take some focused effort, for sure. Yeah.
4: It sure feels good, though. To free yourself of stuff. I loved that phase. I had no problem with it. I probably threw up, too, threw <laughs> out too many things because I enjoyed it a lot.
1: You were very good at it. I, I, I may were, regret it if we you. ever
4: go back to land life, but I don't regret it right now.
1: I had a moment of, because uh, Kate actually, Kate and Mick inspired us, like we said. Yeah. They were a year ahead of us in preparations you know, emotional and mental preparations of we're going to do this, right? So they had set dates and one of their date was to move in with us. And of course, to have them move in with us, I had to empty rooms that we, you know, in a house we'd lived in for 25 years. So it just, it's a big shift. And we started purging and Kate, I loved how she helped me because it was hard work. and uh, And that started this trend towards letting go. You know, letting go of things in order to pursue a dream. And I think that's why I would say for me, that was a hard thing to do and yet a freeing thing to do. So every time you're giving up something, you're one step closer to the dream. And for sure, it is not easy. And Kevin mentioned a few minutes ago that we had an, we were at a point of life where we had an opportunity to pursue this dream that we had had when we were a young couple to, to go offshore. And the opportunity that presented itself was not positive. It was a huge upset in our life where we lost the family business that we'd invested all our married life into. And at the time when Kate and Mick moved back in with us, we were at a point in life where we were rebuilding our careers. I had a second career, which happened to be in healthcare, and then COVID hit. Healthcare was
3: booming. And it
1: was, it was very difficult to see my way out of that to keep pursuing this. So after we had that top deck on Masuda, I twinkling of an idea, let's do this. There was many challenges that could have stopped us from pursuing it. And uh, so definitely having Mick and Kate ahead of us, just methodically knocking down all their barriers was very helpful to us as, uh, as maybe an older, well, we are not not maybe older. It, we were more entrenched because I had many more years of living on land and pursuing careers and collecting
4: stuff. It's hard to break ties from land. It's not an easy thing. And I think, yeah, it would be really easy to get stuck in that phase of, I can't do this. It's too hard. It's too hard to break away.
0: Well, you spend so much of your life in your house setting it up to be perfect. You find that little corner, you find your kitchen. For me, I had my race car in the driveway that I'd been building for years to be this perfect example of me and how I drive. And then I had my tool shed out the back that I had gathered tools over years. And you have all these little pockets of perfection surrounding you that you've built and you've worked hard for. And then to think that when all of a sudden they're almost all set in place to just... You don't want to say throw it all away, but that's almost what you do. You just... You you just have to push it aside. You sell things, you give it away, and then when it's all gone and when it's all done, I don't know. You feel so much lighter. It's a so strange, much freedom. It's the strangest feeling. All those things that you thought were important to you in that time, and yes, they were. But all of a sudden, you just have this slight shift in in how you live and and travel mixed into that, and you don't you don't need any of those things.
4: It's a total shift of mindset and everything. I mean. Mick and I lived in our home and then we had a rental property and we both worked full-time jobs and we worked hard and there was a point where Mick he really wasn't around much, you know. We had an older rental property that he was always at fixing things for our tenants and yeah, it was it was hectic and busy and when we made that mental mind that shift, that mindset shift to free ourselves from all of that it felt so good. We
0: were setting up for our future, <laughs> and then we both looked at each other and wondered why.
4: Why, why are we not enjoying? Why are we right working now? so
0: hard for something that we're going to get in twenty years' time? Let's just uh, let's just push a little bit of a pause button and and have some fun
3: now. So, I, but I'm going to take a bit of a deep dive to tell just a little snippet of a story. Um, Shauna and I, and Kate, and Brooklyn, her sister. We all worked together in this family business that Shauna referred to at various times of our lives. Uh, It was a hotel here in Victoria that we had owned for 25 years. And uh, it was part of our family for 40 years. And we decided to rebuild it. And it's now the number one luxury hotel in Canada. And we had a strange combination of the meltdown of the economy in 2008-2009 and some very difficult, ruthless, kind of immoral activity by some people that ended up that we had to exit that business. And we lost our ability emotionally and humanly to dream. Uh, We just had to figure out how to survive financially after decades of doing very well. And that was maybe the scariest moment of my life as as a man, as a father, as a husband, is I had lost my ability to dream. There was no way to see anything beyond today, uh, both practically and emotionally. And I think what this remarkable uh, adventure that we're on here right now has restored for me and for Shauna is an ability to dream again and to actually chase rainbows. Still my favorite song in all the world is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. (laughs) And uh it feels a little bit like that for us now. And I'm so deeply appreciative of Kate and her ability to just be straight, Dad, you need to hear this. And she would put me back on track with my thinking. And her and Mick's undying support of whatever the circumstance that we were in the middle of as a couple, mm-hmm. Uh really appreciate that. And I could say the same for my other daughter, Brooklyn. She was just so ready to... Help us to get back on track with respect to having a dream to pursue Uh, without that in our hearts there's a part of us that dies and so I really I guess wanted to leave uh, the impression that no matter what the circumstance that life brings your way uh, there's stuff like this that can fill a void like nothing else can fill and we are counting ourselves very privileged Mm -hmm. that we're at this stage of this amazing dream, and how restorative it is to who we are as human beings.
4: Yeah, I think it's, it's important for people, you know, no matter what stage of life you're at, you can have a dream, and you can work towards that dream. And as long as you just stay focused on the dream, it may turn out totally different than what you first envisioned or what you first imagined, but that's part of the beauty of it.
2: Exactly, and it might even turn out better. And who knows what's to exactly. come? Exactly. Exactly. No matter whether it's, uh, you know, the the highlights or the lowlights, but you're experiencing it together. So I think that in itself will make it a special experience to to do this kind of big adventure as a family. And I wanted to ask Kate and Mick, since you are now uh, living and sailing and traveling around California, has there been anything surprising to you that you didn't see coming uh, in this lifestyle? Whether it's positive or negative, it's just something that you didn't uh, expect.
0: Yeah, finding that, and this will help you and anybody else wanting to do this boats require a lot of work.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah,
0: so when Kate goes back earlier saying about, you know, our boat was in rough shape, it, it wasn't, a, it was in rough shape and it also wasn't. We knew what we were up against. Um, we did as much as we could before we left. And we decided just to leave and stick to our dates and our time frame, knowing that the uh improvements and maintenance would be ongoing on this trip. It's tough to just think you know if if you're always waiting until the boat's ready or you're ready you' like you won't you won't leave. you need to be okay with something that's not quite right as long as it's not a safety concern to go so I think the the constant work on the boat the constant maintenance i've got a list that i could just keep writing all day long of things we want to do but we kind of pick and choose uh trying to you know manage our time with seeing things uh staying safe out on the water uh schooling for the kids uh all those sorts of things coming together so i i think when we left our jobs to do this, we maybe thought we would have had a little more time. It's
4: surprising how busy we are. Yeah,
0: (laughs) where our days are full, but it's all great things. It's not, we're not now having to go to work because we have to get a paycheck. We're now doing things because we want to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, improvements to the boat, which is our home now, you know, we're improving our home and we get to do that. And that's, that's our job now as well as everything else. So it's definitely not, yeah, you can't I shouldn't call it a job. It's just
4: daily it's just life a, is busy. Yeah,
0: and it's a lot more fun, but yeah, definitely the the time isn't what we thought it would be, but the things we're doing with our time, being so busy are are really
4: good. And we are on the move a lot right now. Like so, you know, it's it's a big mission to get from Victoria all the way to Mexico and there's a weather window that you need to make it by, so it's not as leisurely as I hope it will be once we're in Mexico. <laughs> um, I think the biggest surprise for me is the weather. It is way colder than I expected. I thought we'd maybe have a month of cold weather um, getting through Washington and Oregon, but I thought for sure by the time we got to Southern California, it would be hot. And my one pair of pants is they're really wearing out. <laughs> <laughs> i did not bring enough cold weather clothes that was a huge surprise yeah to me. we
0: still got dew on the boat every night yeah. it, it gets really cold down here
4: yeah mm-hmm. it's surprising so i guess california still has winter which my ca- canadian brain didn't quite compute <laughs> no me
2: neither i'm picturing palm trees and, and sandy beaches there- and warm weather <laughs> There yeah. is
4: sandy beaches and palm trees in the odd warm day, but for the most part, it's pretty cold.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Especially the surf, on the water. All the surfers are in wetsuits, so yeah, it is yeah. chilly out there.
2: Wow. So, Shauna and Kevin, you, as we talked about, you've been living on land a little bit longer. So, what are you looking forward to when you are finally uh, leaving the land life behind and, and setting off on your adventure that you've uh originally dreamt up many, many decades ago?
1: Well, I think um, one of the things for me is my enjoyment of exploring and seeing new things. I can remember being just as a little girl, that was something that I just always loved to do, get on my bike and ride to somewhere I'd never been, explore beaches. I have to say that on the trip, the trek down south. I just loved when we got into port and we'd walk around and we'd figure out where's the grocery store and where are we going to do our laundry. And it was just I, even the simple things of life become an adventure. Um, I love that. That's one of the things. What about you?
3: I like order and structure and <laughs> I'm surprised how much I'm enjoying a lack of it. Mm. And so I'm actually sitting here going, I can't wait until it just doesn't matter what I do today is mm. my motto. And, uh, although I I do agree with what Mick is saying, there's always something to do, but it doesn't really matter that much when you do it. Nobody's really saying, well, you're supposed to be here at 10 o'clock and you're not. And, Mm -hmm. um, quite often that was my own voice saying that to me. So it's nice to shut that down and operate kind of on a different platform. Mm -hmm. I also love the whole notion of something that Kate mentioned. And that is that, you know, this is my home. And so it's not, just the structure of the boat, it's the environment that you've moved it to that is now your home. And that, there's a bit of, I'm not sure if you call that magic or what, but it feels kind of magical that you wake up in the same environment, but it's a different environment after you've moved the boat. I mean, that's, that's that's a cool thing that you don't get living at the farm.
4: And I think that's one of the coolest things about doing this with kids is our kids have the structure of waking up in the same home every day, but our home is in a different location all the time. So they have that comfort of home as we travel the world. That is so cool. Yep, you just, have would nev- space. You'd never get that land traveling, unless I guess in a camper or something like that. But with what we were planning to do of like backpacking with our kids, which would have been an epic adventure. I don't think we would have lasted too long. I think our kids would have started to have missed that comfort of home.
3: It's funny how you get programmed, Uh, and then you kind of have to get deprogrammed. But we were in quite a storm, and a few things were going wrong, and it was late. I think it was nighttime, actually. can't remember what time of day it was. Kate said to me, are we okay, Dad? And I said, don't you worry. I'm going to make sure you get home. And I've reflected on that and laughed out loud at myself a number of times. I haven't told you that, Kate, but I'm going... What a stupid thing to say! She's actually home.
1: <laughs> I don't remember that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it, it might have been better fit for me to just say, "Don't worry, we got it. We're going to look after your home." I mean, it's it's, it's quite a reprogram mm-hmm. program that you kind of have to go through to get your brain thinking. No, this is this is it now. This is life. This is home, and wherever we park, it becomes our neighborhood. It's pretty cool, and that's a part of the the magic of of mm-hmm. a livable board. Lifestyle. And as Mick said, and I really have to, you know, agree with your insights there as usual, Mick, you're, you're right on. It It's like very different to land-based life, but the differences are just so positive. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make, in my opinion, land-based life bad. We all have fabulous lives. We're not running away from anything. Matter of fact, there's a part of me anyway, I go, well, three to five years, it'd be nice to come back to throwing a log on the fire. But I wouldn't want to miss this experience and, you know, come to the end of my life and go, oh, shoot, I wish I'd done that. So we're going to do it. We're doing it. We're in it now.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that is fantastic. And I love the fact that you have also decided to share this collective experience on YouTube and on social media as well. So please tell me where can we go and follow this adventure of yours?
4: So, you can find us on YouTube, Cruising Meraki. Uh, we have a website, cruisingmeraki.com. And yeah, we're Cruising Meraki on Instagram as well.
2: A big thank you to Kate, Mick, Shauna, and Kevin for chatting with me. Definitely go check out these guys on YouTube and Instagram. They are great and really show a unique approach to the Liverboard life. As with cruising Meraki, you get the kids' perspective and the adults, as well as the older adults in their 60s, so it's a really great mix. Next week, I'll take you to the other side of the Pacific for a whole new story. In the meantime, you can go check out the liveabardsailingpodcast.com website. Or you can come say hi on Facebook or Instagram. And you can actually also send me an email at hello at liveaboardsailingpodcast.com. If you listened to yesterday's episode, which was more of a short introduction to season three, you'll know that I've also started a Patreon page. So you are most welcome to check that out as well. If that is something that might interest you, there is some extra content and some other fun stuff happening over there. But the podcast will return again with a new episode next week. So I'll see you then. Bye for now.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?